0: Love Talk Radio. Hello, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the podcast. Today is a milestone show not a milestone in the number per se it's show number 290 in case you're interested in that but we are finishing up and this is the important part we are finishing up this series that we have worked on the entire year so it's show number 16 or so 16 or 17 in this series the 11 skills a toddler must use before words emerge and let me say something that i'm not sure that i've said before It really doesn't matter how old a kid is if they're not talking. These are the preverbal skills. These are the prerequisite skills. So in case you're listening and you just happen to pick the show (laughs) as your first ever listen to the podcast and you're thinking, toddlers, you know, my kid is four and not talking or my kid is six and not talking or whatever your particular circumstance happens to be, these skills hold true. Because they're based on a child's development or developmental age, not a chronological age or not the age he is according to his birthday. So I wanted to mention that in case I haven't uh, said that in this series. But today we are finishing this series of shows with a final summary so that we can wrap our heads around everything that we've talked about and then more importantly I want to tell you exactly how I think about this information and then how I incorporate these pieces with late talking toddlers when I am designing an initial treatment plan and that's what this is so important for but let me let me give you another little caveat (laughs) If you think, oh, I, th- my kid has been in therapy six months and she's talking about initial treatment plans, or if you're a therapist and you think, well, I got to wait till I start over with the kid for this, we've already been doing some other stuff. No, 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 you don't. This information that we've talked about in the series, again, is applicable no matter how old the kid is and no matter where he is in the process of therapy if words have not emerged yet. So even if he's been in therapy a year and you are really scratching your head as a mom or dad and thinking, what is going on? I thought this was going to be faster. I am frustrated with the length of time. Or as a therapist, hey, let me just say, we think that too. (laughs) We get just as concerned when there's a child on our caseloads, or I hope we do, I know I do, when uh, they're not making progress. And that's kind of what can keep us up at night. So these skills are useful for any child who's not talking and again for useful i mean first you're going to look at the skill and then you're going to figure out does this child that i'm thinking about right now have this skill or not and we'll talk about kind of those qualitative differences at the end of the show with is the skill completely absent is it emerging or is it mastered and why that's important we'll be looking at that but you're you're not only going to want to know if he has a skill or not but what to do about it now again this is a wrap-up show we've already revisited or visited (laughs) the what to do about it piece we are not going to do that today but I'm hoping as you listen to this show today since it's a wrap-up if you're a therapist and you're thinking about several children on a caseload, it might be a little jog to your memory to say, Hey, that's where this kid is. And that's the missing piece here. Let me go back and listen to that show. Let me go back and see if there are any ideas that I have not incorporated yet. Let me see if there's something else that I can share with mom or dad that will really open the door for that kid to make progress. So you can certainly use this information today, not getting the specifics of how we work on each particular skill but it might remind you to go back and pay attention and that that, again might be some kids missing piece of the puzzle with why he or she is not making progress yet now remember we're going to run through this list of skills to to again refresh our memories because it's been a long time in this series and I know most of you are not looking at a list at teachmetotalk.com um or anything that you might have done yourself to kind of keep up with what these skills are, most of you are probably driving in the car between visits or exercising or cleaning or <laughs> doing whatever it is that you do when you listen to the podcast. So let's, we're going to run through the list just to, again, make sure that we all remember what these 11 skills are. Now, these are all foundational skills. And we've talked, we've used this word a lot, a prerequisite. So it has to come before we can reasonably expect a child to begin to use first words communicatively, meaning that he's going to use words to let you know what he wants, words to answer questions, all of those different speech acts that we think about as a speech-language pathologist. As a parent, you might think about that as how a kid uses language. What are his functions? What are his purposes? So, again, we know that there are children who are echolalic, who are saying words and who are just imitating to imitate. And, hey, that is not a bad skill. Kids need to be doing that in this continuum as well. Actually, I think it's skill number nine that we talked about. But we're talking about how we get kids to the point where they can really use their words and as SLPs we think about that and we call that pragmatic the so language use how does a kid really meaningfully and purposefully talk how does he how does he use his little words and so again let me just say the skills that we're talking about kind of get us there they're all pointing towards using first words here's what happens though sometimes we as therapists or As parents get so focused on helping a child learn to talk that we really don't get at what the real core issue is or what the real problem is. And so we can waste a lot of time in therapy. And so that's what I meant before when I was saying if you're a parent and you're frustrated and you think this is taking too long, what is going on here? A lot of times it's because we haven't worked on the right foundational piece. And so when we shift our focus and we work on what the core issue is or where the real problem lies at the point where a kid first breaks down, then we're going to see usually a big jump in progress because we've we've addressed the real problem. So we want to be sure that we're looking at and isolating those skills that are missing so that we can be more effective and more efficient in our treatment plans. And, and this series or this list of skills really allows you to take a sequential, logical, practical look at whatever's hindering that expressive language piece. And by expressive language, I mean what a kid, words, gestures, anything he uses to let you know or to express what his intentions or his reasons or his message is now again let me say when we're when a kid is missing not just one of these skills but let's say you're looking at this list of 11 and i've gotten some emails from parents like this they'll say my kid has eight of these what should i do work on the three that are missing all right so that that's what we're doing here and they'll say or he has nine or ten and then i'll email back and say let's talk about how established these skills are and sometimes they'll say oh i've just started to see these three or four little skills. Some of these are brand new. You've got to nurture these skills. You've got to work on them for a while. And again, we'll talk about that at the end of the show when we talk about absent, emerging, and mastered and what that really, really means. We have to move all of these skills toward a mastery level, again, before we can reasonably expect that a child would be talking. So uh, I wanted to be sure that I said that again. So let's look at the list. Let's revisit these 11 skills, response to events in the environment was number one, and remember that's just a child's ability to react to incoming sensory information, so things that he can see, he can hear, he can touch, he can hold, he can manipulate. And remember, this is kind of the the, the beginnings where we look at all kids, newborns, early infancy, children should be attaining this skill. Number two was response to people, And, again, that's the social interaction piece. And when a kid is ignoring other people or doesn't seem to like other people or wants to avoid other people, we know that that's a big problem. And remember, sometimes parents can interpret this as a personality issue, that the kid is lazy or stubborn or independent or a loner. But really it's a social skill problem. And so we want to be sure that we are analyzing that at the very beginning. Our third skill here was develop an attention span. And these are kids who who have to learn how to attend and maintain their focus, whatever it is that they are doing or um, for observing, we want that attention span to come on in. We all need that to learn what words mean and, and be able to use words expressively. Our fourth skill here was joint attention. And remember the big thing with joint attention is what? Is that a kid learns how to shift his attention between That object that that he's paying attention to that we just talked about with developing an attention span, now we'll expand that to include people. So we want him to be able to shift his attention between people and some experience that they are sharing. Skill number five was plays with toys. And here we're talking about early play, so using a toy in the way it's intended. So understanding that cognitive foundation for how we use objects, and not just toys, but even items in our everyday lives so that's what we're talking about with that fifth skill skill number six was understands and uses early gestures and remember gestures are nonverbal communication and so that's a super super important skill and gestures would be that that beginning of expressive communication too but you have to have the receptive piece first understanding that first and we talked about how important those little gestures are when we did our show about that. And that certainly is a step toward talking because it's learning how to communicate. And so even if a kid's not using his mouth to do that yet with words, we still want him to be able to figure out with his little body how to convey a message. So that's why skill number six is so important. Number seven, This is the beginning of receptive language, which understands early words and follows simple directions. And remember, kids have to understand words before they can really use words. And that's a real distinction that speech-language pathologists need to be making on teams with children. A lot of times, and, and, and let me just say, some children will have a learning style, that they have to say the word and then they learn what it means. But usually for most of us and in typical language development, we understand words before we use words. And remember, we always go back and look at the reason that we say that and the justification for believing that and defending that position, you know, in a diehard way to other disciplines who may not Think about language in that way, and you know who you are if if you if you get that. (laughs) Understanding comes first. Cognition really is important in language development, and certainly cognition. We looked at it back with play, although I didn't really talk about that today. But play, how a kid learns how to, how objects work, and how he remembers that, and then how he goes on to incorporate that object into his his. Game, so how he plays or how he uses an object, that tells you a lot about cognition too. But cognition really, really goes hand in hand with receptive language, which is what we're talking about here with skill number seven, understands early words and follows simple directions. After the receptive piece, we bump up and we start really looking at the, the down and dirty part of talking or the expressive piece. And skill number eight is vocalizes, so uses that little voice. Skill number nine is imitate not only sounds and words but the beginning piece there learns how to imitate actions uh skill 10 was a a a higher level skill 10 and 11 that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks skill number 10 is initiates interaction with you and then skill number 11 is uh participates in turn taking so that's really the responding piece and remember i said in those two shows that Some people will talk about responding first and some will talk about initiating first. And boy, did I go back and forth when I was thinking, you know, this list is not, it's sequential in a general term or general sense of the word. But then when we go back and look, you know, should we put responding first to skill number 10 or turn taking is skill 10 and then 11 be initiating? I went back and forth with that. So as an SLP, you know that in typical language development, so many of these skills are coming in all at one time. And again, that that's what makes a kid a typical language learner. Our little guys with delays often plateau or they'll have, By plateau, I mean they stay at the same place for a long time, and you are thinking this is taking forever, but they'll have long periods of plateau. Some kids who are late talkers will actually have splinter skills. They may have some things that are well beyond the scope of this initial list, yet they're missing some of these foundational pieces, and that would really explain a gap in their language development or that would explain uh, let's say they may have just a few little core vocabulary words or even a few little phrases but they can't get beyond that and again it looks abnormal to you in that you're thinking I have had other children with the same kinds of vocabulary or what would appear to be the same general kind of problem yet they go on and make progress yet this little guy is continuing to struggle and so Because this list, again, is generally involved in a a sequence, meaning that a kid certainly would respond to events in the environment with skill number one before he would begin to take turns with others, you know, that as skill number 11, it's still, you may still have some kids who, again, have that splintered kind of pattern of development. So they may have several things that, again, would be, so much more advanced than the things that we've talked about in this list, yet they're still missing some of these pieces. So um, that's an important point for us to think about as we move forward here. Now, how do we use this list? What is this list really good for? And we've talked about it over and over, but let me just say it again just to kind of help you put the period at the end of this series so that you can finish it up and think about it in your mind. As a therapist, you can really use this list as a practical starting point for determining those initial treatment plans that we've already talked about. Now, think that I'm saying this is all that you need for an initial assessment. You know that you're still going to use your formal tools, meaning your tests that you administer to children, usually to determine if they are eligible for your particular program or not. But if you don't have a good sense of where a kid is taking this list of 11 skills and then comparing it to, say, what you found in the PLS-5 or in the Rosetti or in whatever tool, whatever specific test that you use, you know you can say, well, I'm not really sure about this. I'm not really sure how this was assessed on my particular tool. Let me go back and take a look at that. That is going to provide you just and fantastic information as you start to think about children. And you certainly can probe for some of these skills in your first few sessions for the child to gather more information, again, so that you can share that effectively with the family and really get to know a child and what's going on and what's causing his or her stall in language development. Now, if you're a parent, I'm hoping that this list over the course of these months and months has given you new information or reassured you that you were on the right track and given you specific things to do. If you felt like, gosh, you know, let's look let me look back at number seven. It understands words and how he how he's beginning to follow commands. And if you felt like, gosh, that's that's a shaky skill for my child. Mm, I don't know about that one. Hopefully these shows have given you at least some initial starting point for what you can do at home with your own child. Now let me say too, hopefully as a parent you aren't doing this by yourself. I, I hope, 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 hope that you are working with a competent speech language pathologist or a team of professionals to address what's going on with your particular child and that you're using some kind of similar list. Now for some Parents that email me, they'll say, hey, I don't have a list of skills like that. You know, does that mean my therapist is bad? Absolutely not. Think about the written report that you received from your therapist at the beginning of treatment. Everybody does that. (laughs) Every agency and program will give you some sort of written results from your child's assessment with them or how therapy is going. So it might be that IFSP, that Individualized Family Service Plan, if you are in an early state early intervention program. If your child is older or if you are in a state where early intervention services are provided through the public school system, you may be using an IEP, an Individualized Education Plan. So that would be, you're not going to have a list say uh, the therapist has taken out a sheet of paper and jotted down (laughs) things that sound like these 11 skills, but you should have some kind of document to reference as what you're working on with your child. And again, if you don't, this list is a good place to start, and hopefully you have such a good relationship with your therapist and you guys are on the same page about this that you can say hey, let's take a look at this list. These are things that I'm not sure about if my kid is doing or not. Let's discuss this. And a lot, of, so many times, your therapist will be able to give you insights about a particular skill that you may not have considered yet. So be sure that you're talking about this. And let me just say, too, if your child is not in therapy, I just, oh, I beg you to do that. And I know that some localities where folks live, we have a lot of international listeners, so that they're outside of the United States and they do not have the systems that we have here in the state so that they, they may not have access to services. And in that situation, oh, I so applaud you parents for doing everything that you can to gather information. And, and you may be forced to do this on your own, but for many, many, many listeners, if you if you don't have your child in therapy yet, I just, again, highly encourage you to do that and recommend you to get Someone to take a look at your child with you in real life because this show is fantastic. And I know it makes a difference in lives every single day because I get tons and tons of emails about it. And I know that reading the books and watching the DVDs, all of those things are fantastic. But if you can combine that with someone who is working with you and your child in real life, then you know that you're going more likely to get optimal results. All right, so... Let's talk about these 11 skills and, again, how we apply this information. Let me just say this list really, really is a safeguard to make sure that we've covered all our bases and, again, that we're addressing all of these important pre-verbal and prerequisite skills. And this list fits so nicely into an overall hierarchy of treatment that we can use with any toddler with a speech language delay, irrespective of what that child's official diagnosis is. Now, I am not discounting the value in knowing exactly what a diagnosis is, but, but here, here's the truth. Most of the time in early intervention, so in working in birth to three programs and in early preschool, a lot of the times when we first see a child and, and we're the only professional they've seen, they may not even have a diagnosis. Yeah. And that that's not the same as a child who has a speech language delay due to a physical issue that he or she might have already been diagnosed with, perhaps even at birth, like cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, something that you would consider in conjunction with or, or kind of the, the big diagnosis, the medical diagnosis. A lot of times, though, children in early intervention parents just realize, hey, he's not talking yet or he's not walking yet. He's not hitting his milestones. So there's no official diagnosis yet. So this list that we've talked about may actually point us in the right direction diagnostically and we've certainly mentioned that over the course we've talked about it and we've mentioned it over the course of this entire series but today i want to hit it a little harder so that you are thinking about children in this way if you're a therapist and as a parent let me just say too you don't always have to even have a diagnosis as long as you're doing the right things as long as you're addressing the right problems you're going to be fine but as a therapist it really really helps us to kind of wrap our heads around that. And uh, most of the time parents really want to know, hey, what, what's this called? What is there a name for this? So this may help you uh, a little bit too. Now the overall hierarchy I use when I think about kids these next, kind of kind of a different way to fit these 11 skills into a, a bigger system. I use this hierarchy and have for a long time, and I teach this in my course, Early Speech Language Development, Taking Theory to the Floor. If you haven't seen that live, uh, it's on DVD. You can get it now. I've caught it since 2010. Most of the things I write about on <laughs> the website or are in some way, shape, or form related to these four big areas of speech language development, and I think about this overall hierarchy with every single kid that I see, every single kid that I consult on, every single email (laughs) a parent or therapist sends me, every single podcast guest. This is how I think about kids. This is how I complete assessments. So how I'm figuring out exactly what's our issue here and how I plan treatment. So let's talk about this. And we haven't I don't think I've mentioned this in this way on the show in a long time. So if you're a long-time listener, you're going to recognize it from years and years ago. But it's always a good reminder to think about what is my overall philosophy here? What framework do I use when I'm thinking about children? So here's how I do it. I always think about social skills first. And remember, we're thinking about how children interact with other people. I always think about that as a foundational piece for communicating. And, again, why do we do that? Because it takes two people to communicate. We have to have children interested in other people. So that social skills piece. Then you think about cognition. How is that little brain working? How are those complex processes developing, even in infancy and through toddlerhood and on through the preschool years? Why is cognition important? Because it leads to receptive language. And remember, what's receptive language? And as a therapist, you should be talking with parents about receptive language just as much as you do expressive language. And we've already said today that understanding words is what comes first with language development. And typically developing babies understand more words than they use. That's how we know that that First in typical development, but that's the second thing I think about cognition and receptive language and I tie them together. That next big piece is expressive language. How does a child communicate his own messages? How does he let you know what he wants? And then the fourth piece Speech intelligibility. Now, remember, these are the four big areas that we look at with any child who's not talking or with any child with any kind of speech language delay or another kind of diagnosis that leads to difficulty learning how to communicate. So there's nothing particularly original about this framework. It's just a different way to kind of pull it together. And you are getting that same information from your the initial assessments that you're administering. But you may not organize those results in this way so that you can plan logical, sequential, and effective plans for intervention. And remember, we've already said that the 11 skills that we've talked about over this series really help us do that, to think about children logically and sequentially. But they also really fit so nicely into this hierarchy with social skills, cognitive development, Uh, receptive language development, expressive language development. And so, again, that hierarchy or that sequence really, really works well. Uh, Remember, too, as we're talking about wrapping up this series, that so many of these skills overlap, so sometimes they can fit into more than one area, especially when we've just talked about social skills, cognitive skills, receptive language, and expressive language skills, and so this is what I want to do right now. I want to run through this list of 11 skills again, and let's talk about where they fit in, that social, cognitive, receptive, expressive piece how they fit into that framework, rather, so that you can think about kids in this way as well. And I do want to mention that diagnostic piece that I promised you that I would talk about today. So let's talk about this first skill beginnings of um, responding to events in the environment. So, but that's the beginning of cognition, all right? So responding to events in the environment. So what happens when a baby isn't routinely responding or a toddler? You're thinking about a toddler on your caseload. And again, it doesn't matter chronologically what his age is. We're looking at his developmental markers. So when a kid isn't routinely responding, and we know that there's nothing really identified with a sensory limitation, meaning that his he can hear, he, his vision is... Expected to be normal, those kinds of things. When we, when there's not a sensory limitation that's already been identified, but he's still not responding to events in the environment, we always need to think about cognition there. And and let me just say that when we do have a sensory limitation that we've identified, a child has problems. Seeing and problems hearing, we know that he is at significant risk for developing a cognitive delay as well, because he doesn't have the opportunities to experience and to perceive that incoming information uh, as he would if he had a typically a typically developing system or a system that that doesn't have difficulty with processing incoming. Information. Sorry about that. I don't know how we lost that connection. I hope that you've stuck in here with me. Let's pick back up what we were talking about. Uh, With joint attention, we know that that's a combination of cognition and social skills. And, again, we would be really concerned about kids with autism who aren't exhibiting joint attention. And some studies will say that even children with just a developmental language delay can, can really have more difficulty than children with typically developing skills. And so it may not always mean autism. So don't necessarily panic about that. But if it doesn't respond and if you feel like, man, this is this kid's core issue, autism, ASD, is what we would think about diagnostically in, with kids like that. All right, let's move on to skill number five, playing with toys. I've already said this today, but let me say it one more time, so that it is etched in your memory We can best assess a child's cognition by looking at how he plays with toys and how he uses objects in his environment. So, again, huge indicator, huge marker for how cognition is moving along. Many times play with toys will have a social component as well if you're looking at how a child interacts with you or how a child interacts with another child. So sometimes it's not necessarily a cognitive thing. It's just when we add that social piece in there. Could be a, a motor issue. Sometimes children who have those serious significant motor limitations Most of the time, their play skills will be delayed as well. So, again, that could be a motor issue. It could be a motor planning issue. There's not difficulty with that child's muscles per se or with his muscle tone. He just can't always coordinate it. So, again, that could certainly affect how a child plays the toys. And remember that we look at this and why is this a marker for language, what's going on when we are looking at a child's play skills. Again, cognition is required for language. And so, and, and beyond that, it's it's a developmental skill. Kids should know and understand how to play with toys. They also, when children aren't playing, they miss out on huge opportunities to learn language. So playing with toys is a vital component of language development. Skill number six, we, understands and uses early gestures. Now, anytime we're talking about understanding, that word in and of itself would implicate that there's a cognitive component to a child's delays. Certainly there's a social component with gestures as well. And how would that be? (laughs) A child has to be paying attention to another person enough and has to watch them and be connected to another person enough to see that they are using gestures, and they have to do it long enough and well enough to be able to assign meaning to that. So uh, certainly there's a social component as well. Also, this is where expressive skill development begins. So a kid is moving on up that hierarchy. Previously, if we're looking at social skills, cognitive receptive skills, then we get to expressive skills. So now we're there, we're getting there. So this child is branching out to a whole new place. And so when we have kids who don't understand and use early gestures, what can we think about that diagnostically? Well, it could be any of those things we talked about. Could be a cognitive issue, meaning the child is not symbolic yet, and we talked a lot about that back on the show, uh, on the show where we uh, teased out all of these issues with understands and uses early gestures and we talked a lot about how to get that symbolic Development going, and we tied that back to understanding words. Words are symbols, so we know that that's really important. It could be that it's the social skill that we've already talked about. Kids don't pay attention enough to other people. It could be that it's just that nonverbal communication piece, which again is a core deficit of children with autism. So they have a serious uh, deficit or a a really hard time interpreting and understanding and assigning meaning to any kind of nonverbal communication, which would certainly include gestures or how we use our bodies or actions to communicate a message. And again, we, a kid could have a motor issue here. If he's got a pretty severe motor planning problem, he may not be able to coordinate his little body well enough to use early gestures. Certainly our little guys with low muscle time or high muscle be learning how to use their bodies to to use gestures effectively so they're not waving they're not pointing they're not shaking or nodding their heads yes or no they have a hard time using their bodies for everything so they certainly would have a hard time learning to use gestures as well move on to skill number 7 understands early words and follows simple directions you know here we're firmly in that receptive language section and so here diagnostically with a kid who's having Difficulty understanding early words and following directions. We know that if he has a cognitive delay, he will have a receptive language delay. They go hand in hand in hand. And again, that's something I say all the time because I do want it etched in your memory. This could be a kid who may struggle with understanding what words mean. Throughout his development, he may have a hard time learning how to read. You know, reading, reading comprehension is built on auditory comprehension. It's built on understanding words and linking meaning. So, again, try to sort of, you know, we don't want to categorize a child or say if he has a problem at two, he's going to have a problem for the rest of his life. I'm not saying that. Early intervention can make a tremendous difference, but there will be some children on your caseloads, even in early intervention, who will struggle for a long, long, long time, perhaps forever. So try to kind of be a little bit uh, far-sighted in how we think about these things and explain these things to parents, because sometimes children who have significant disabilities, and we know that, yet no one's really talking to a mom or dad about what that might look like long term. And again, we're not taking anybody's hope away. That's not it at all. We just wanted to be objective, as objective as a loving, caring parent can be, but also to know realistically what a child's struggles might look like and and to kind of put the fire under all of us to know, gosh, we've got to work on this because this may be something that we're dealing with or this child and family will be dealing with for a long time. Certainly vocalizing falls that next skill firmly in the expressive section, so we are now... Really getting into the nuts and bolts of speech language development. Remember that I was we're talking about sequencing here, vocalizing. Hopefully, has happened from birth. <laughs> that child uh, cried with an audible cry. If we're having children who cry silently, meaning that you look over at them and you see tears and you see a distressed little face, but you're not really hearing anything. That's a voicing problem. So you need someone else, a medical person, to take a look at that. Um, And again, toddlers who aren't vocalizing at all, that's a significant voice-related or speech-related diagnosis. It could be a motor planning issue like apraxia. And one of the earliest markers for apraxia, children babies were really, really quiet, so limited babbling development. We didn't hear a lot from them. Uh, But certainly... Vocalizing is something that has already happened that would that happened way back in one of those first few skills, but it's not listed on my list until later because we want parents to focus on these other things first. But in uh, practical terms, a child has to be able to vocalize and use his voice before we hear words, so that's that's why it's right there and why it might seem a teeny bit out of sequence, but certainly it's. our our chief issue that we're looking at when we're looking at a late talker. Can he produce a voice? Move on to skill number nine, imitation with actions, gestures, and words. Now, imitation is such a complex skill. It's so complex that I have done show after show after show about it here on the podcast. I've written a book about it. I've done a six-hour course about it. Uh, Gosh, we can just get so much information about a child's development by looking at how he or she can or cannot imitate. We do think about this Primarily as an expressive skill. So, again, we're fitting all of these 11 skills into that general overall hierarchy here. But imitation is also social. Kids have to pay attention to other people before they can imitate them. So there is a social component there. There's also a cognitive component here. How can that kid watch someone else and then make his body do the same thing. So again, there's a motor component. See how in this section, I want you to understand how all of these skills do overlap among developmental domains. But when a child isn't imitating, we have to pay attention when we're looking for a diagnostic label or reason here. Pick out specifically why it's not happening. Is it a cognitive problem? He can't plan what that movement is he's watching the other person, and his body certainly has the capability of moving like that, but something's missing there that could be a cognitive deficit or a cognitive issue. Is it a social issue? Is he not imitating because we can't settle him down long enough or he doesn't have that internal drive to watch another person or connect with them or communicate with them or interact with them and so you have to think about it in that way for some kids. You think, well, no wonder he's not imitating because at the core issue of this is a social problem. And certainly there can be that motor component there too. Um, Skill number 10, initiates interaction. Here at skill number 10 and 11, begins turn taking. This is where we really overlap and where all of these skills work together. And this is kind of that whole next level of development here because children are really, really combining skills be able to initiate interaction, to be able to respond in uh, interaction, to be able to keep that going, that turn-taking or reciprocity piece. And so certainly all kinds of children with a myriad of diagnoses can have difficulty with this, but we want to think about autism for sure, because that back and forth reciprocity piece is a core deficit of autism, and then we would certainly treat that could be that a kid isn't initiating and responding because he still doesn't understand what words mean yet. He's not symbolic enough yet. So again, that that's where this tells us again, back up, back up, back up and work on those earlier pieces. So here's my point about this as so, so we wrap up this list, don't start at the beginning with a kid. <laughs> or I'm sorry, don't start at the end with a kid. I said that completely backwards. Start at the beginning. Start back at skill number one and kind of work your way up. Some people will start, you know, and say, gosh, this is a two-year-old, can he turn take, back up to number 10, back up to number nine. You can certainly do that. But when we look at the beginning, we don't miss anything, and you don't, you don't work on a skill that's too high of a level. Because, again, look at how skill number 10 and number 11 are so dependent on the previous skills that we already discussed. So you do want to be sure that you are looking, again, if this is a foundational system, start At the beginning and work your way forward so that you are covering all your bases. Now, I mentioned we want to make these skills strong and stable before we move on. And remember, if you're uh, the beginning of this series, I talked about Dr. James McDonald, who's a great speech language pathologist, and used those terms strong and stable. So when we think about this in SLP terminology, we probably think about terms like is this sent or missing? Is skill emerging or is it mastered now absent or missing that's pretty easy (laughs) it's not there a kid can't do it yet emerging means you may have seen the skill a time or two but it is not strong and stable it is shaky it is not established and as a parent sometimes we confuse emerging skills with mastered skills and so we may say things like well, I've heard him say that word once or twice and so then you want to move on to a new word. Or he's used that he used that sign a couple of times in therapy or a couple of times this week. Let's learn a new sign. Try not to do that. We need to move skills from the emerging column to mastered before we leave them. And and, and Skills may never, and it doesn't matter what skill we're talking about, it could be a sign, it could be a word, it could be a gesture, it could be understanding what a word means, it could just be smiling at someone, whatever skill it is, we don't want to leave it emerging. We want the child to get better and better and better and better and better and better and better, so we want to always move things to that master category, which is why we have to work on things more than a session or two, (laughs) and mom and dad, you have to see that and hear it more than a time or two before we're ready to say, yeah, 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 let's move on. So mastery is really, really important. And I talked about this earlier in the show. Sometimes the parent, I've had several parents email me over the course of this series and say, you know, my child has eight or nine of these. I still don't understand why it's not talking. And then in my correspondence, do you how often do you notice these skills? And they'll say, oh, just every once in a while. That means that these skills are not firmly established. They are not mastered. So, your job is to work on them long enough so that a child really owns that skill and so that you can say without a doubt, Yeah, he understands a lot of words. He follows a lot of directions, or he imitates me all the time, or gosh, he vocalizes. Now, I'm not hearing any words, but boy, is this kid noisy. Can you see the differences there? And so, you have to work toward. That level of mastery, so that you know that you know that you know that you know that this child does have this foundational skill, and that I do have a reasonable expectation of hearing a word, of working on that expressive piece, so that you do know that words are looming on the horizon and that the child is developmentally ready to talk. So that's the end of this series, and let me just say, I hope that you have enjoyed this as much as I have. It has been a longer series. We have spent all of 2016 here on the podcast really diving into these skills so that we can understand what they are. It's helped me grow tremendously as a therapist, not only in how I work with children, but how I explain these skills to parents. And I think a lot of times that's what's missing, you as a therapist may be able to really focus on and sharpen your skill set with you may be fantastic at eliciting all kinds of new skills from a kid but there's still something missing and that missing piece could be you don't know how to teach a parent how to do it too or you don't know how to explain it well enough so that a parent understands it and so that. <laughs> What I think this series is the the main value in this series is being able to take these skills and not only know what to do about it, so how to facilitate that child learning the new skill and gaining the new skill, but how to make his parents understand how to do it too, and even more important than that, to make his parents understand why it's important so that they get, oh, my goodness, he has to have all 11 of these things coming in. They have to be pretty well established before I really can expect them to talk. And so again, that's our missing piece a lot of times as therapists is that we don't spend enough time really making sure that parents understand. We think, well, they're watching me. Surely they understand how this relates to whatever goal we're working on. Many, many times they don't. And so we have to bridge that gap and we have to help a parent fill in those pieces so that they know and understand what they're doing doing that's making their child progress or the flip side of that, what they're not doing that they should be doing that would make their child progress. So I want you to be sure that you are understanding all of these skills, why they're important in your own minds, and then knowing what to do about that with the child and how to explain that to parents so that parents really understand this information too. All right, I also want to mention that throughout this series and even on this show, I've given you lots of resources that you can get today at teachmetotalk.com to help you understand these concepts. And the best part about all of these resources, particularly the courses and the DVDs, you can see examples of me working with children. And so you can see how it should look (laughs) <laughs> when you're working with a toddler who's a late talker or who has one of these core issues. So let me say as a therapist and even as a parent, you can take these full length continuing education courses. And have uh, it's early speech language development, taking theory to the floor. It walks you through that whole hierarchy that I've just talked about with social skill development, receptive and cognitive development, expressive development. And then there's a section on speech intelligibility, although we did not get to that uh, little piece of the hierarchy in this series because we should never, ever, 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 ever worry about intelligibility with a new talker. You just want to get that, you want to get words going, and we can worry about ability or getting the right sounds in the right places later. So again, we're not going to talk about any of that here, but let me just breeze through these resources so that you will understand uh, what other information there is out there, or especially if you're thinking, gosh, I just want more of this. I just, I need more to know really, really, really how I can own this information too and really use it and make a difference in my caseload or in my own individual child. So early speech language development, taking theory to the floor, watch through that whole big hierarchy there. Steps to building verbal imitation in toddlers, Reviewed so many of these things that we talked about really from the beginning. So that whole process of imitation, but we also talk about how important receptive language is in that course. And again, it's about expressive primarily, but it'll cover some of these prerequisite things too. My newest course, Is It Autism? Recognizing and Treating Toddlers and Preschoolers with Red Flags for ASD. So many. Most of these prerequisite skills that we talked about are covered in one way or another in that course, particularly in part two. So get your hands on that. If you're a parent, and you're thinking, "Gosh, I don't really want to invest in those courses that that might be over my head." I have fantastic resources for you. So kids with social skills, kids who are having difficulty connecting or difficulty with social skills, "Teach Me to Play with You" is an excellent resource. That's a book. It's written for parents. So easy to use. Many times therapists use uh, the activities in Teach Me to Play with You and then copy those pages for parents and give that to them. That's their homework. That's their written plan. So a great, great resource. I've mentioned Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. It's also a book. There are huge sections in there, uh, sections about social skills, cognitive and receptive skills, huge sections on language. So everything you ever wanted to know about every. Possible goal for children below 12 months developmentally all the way to 48 months developmentally. Listen and Obey 1 and 2 are DVDs that you can see a lot of these strategies, particularly regarding receptive language. So uh, if you need to see some receptive language therapy in action, you're not sure how that should look, get yourself a copy of Listen and Obey 1 and 2. And let me just say, Teach Me to Listen to Obey 1 and 2, as well as Teach Me to Talk the DVD, have CE credit for therapists. So you can also benefit that way. Not only can you use it as a parent education tool, but you can get yourself some additional CE credit. All right, so let's talk about where we're going from here. And oh, let me mention all of these resources are linked at teachmetotalk.com. You can go to scroll down to today's podcast, the post about that. It's show number 290. It'll be right there on the home page, and then you can just click, click, click on these resources that I've mentioned. Let's talk about where we're moving from here in this podcast series. We're going to, over the next couple of weeks, talk about that hierarchy today. I mentioned the social perspective, cognitive receptive language, and expressive. This is what we're going to do over the next couple of shows, and I think it's going to be so fun. I'm going to give you real-life examples of toys and familiar, act if you're working on social skills with the kid with this toy, this is how it should look. If you're working on receptive skills with the kid with this toy, this is what you can work on. Here's some ideas for expressive. And so, again, taking a look at that hierarchy, but we're going to flip it and look at it from an activity or um, routines-based perspective and then fold our hi- hierarchy into that. I don't think I've done a show. I'm really, really excited about that. So I hope you'll join me next week. And, again, thank you for sticking with us. We I'd love to hear you the feedback or if you were the inspiration to that. All right. Just like this, please. Have